Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hi, I'm Mark Kate. Welcome to episode 44 of Why We Listen. In this podcast, I meet with my guests to listen to and talk about music. I ask them to choose three pieces of music in advance, using whatever criteria they'd like, and we listen to those songs and we talk. In this episode, I meet with Colin Cunliffe in my apartment in San Francisco. Colin is a performer based in New York City, but as you'll hear, he's now by coastal And he is currently in the run of Cats at the Neil Simon Theatre in New York. I usually start the podcast off by saying what my guests and I are going to listen to. Um, the three songs that my guests have chosen, I, I say what those songs are, what we're going to be talking about. But I've found that when I record these conversations myself... I really prefer not to know what we're going to listen to, um, let it be a surprise. So I'm going to extend that to the podcast itself, to you, the listener, and not tip you off to what's going to happen. I think that just makes it a lot more interesting. However, I will tell you, we discuss Broadway and auto-tune and tango. It's a great conversation. You should subscribe to Why We Listen on iTunes or Stitcher because I do this very infrequently, and being alerted to new episodes would be oh so much easier if you're a subscriber. Also, if you're a regular listener, you know that I tend to uh, present these very long introductions. Uh, I sort of speak my piece about the state of music, uh, the state of sound in the world today. And I had written, as I normally do, a fairly lengthy introduction, and I just sat down to record it, and it is super negative. It's super bitchy, uh, a lot of complaining about Baby Driver and its soundtrack, and connecting retro nostalgia music culture around the extreme right and why Donald Trump is in office. And I believe in everything that I wrote, but it was really bitchy and negative, and I just don't feel like I need to put that out into the world. I also feel like I don't need to take the time and write something fluffy for you, so I'd rather just get to this really great conversation I got to have with Colin right now. So tell me what you're doing in San Francisco all the way from New York City. I'm coming home. Um, no, San Francisco is just such a special place in my heart. Just... Um, both the land. I'm from Colorado originally, mm. so it just feels like a little bit more mellow, yeah. a little more more at peace. Obviously, all that stuff that comes along with the West Coast, and then um, just the family that's here. I mean, you know, a lot of these these people, and they just kind of bring me back. And it was time to kind of recheck, come back to square one. I love New York City. I've been there 18 years. But I have to leave every now and then. Yeah, so sure. And stay in love. I'm always super curious about the way San Francisco is perceived. Like, I came here for a reason, but that was so long ago. Uh -huh. And and it's become a new city like three times since I moved here. Right. And also being here that whole time. I don't think I really know what San Francisco means to people who don't live here. I mean, there's definitely a common mythology that right. everybody, like, you know, whenever it's depicted on TV or movies, like, it, it, it signifies something... But, but I mean, I've been coming here for years and yeah. all of those things that it signifies, it's, it's true. I mean, it's this 
you land and it's like, oh, everything's so beautiful and laid back and the flowers and the beach. And I didn't even know there was beach culture here until, you know, my seventh or eighth time. Yeah. And we got one of these beautiful days and everyone's like, we're going to the beach. And, you know, you just have these people. It's, um, it's an edge that is taken off that I find is really hard to find in any other city. And it, it's probably hard to see that, I think, being in here all the time. Yeah. And it's obviously probably exemplified from living in New York City. Yeah. But, I mean, it's there's so much history here and it, and kind of going through this music of like, okay, what, do, what San Francisco sounds do I like? You know, that was kind of the first thing that started coming into my yeah. head of like so much of my adolescence was the music that kind of came out from San Francisco in the sixties and the seventies and stuff. So it's, it's nostalgic almost coming back every time. And there's just this soundtrack that I'll listen to when I'm away, but I'll always feel connected to it. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's why I always feel so much like it feels like I'm coming home, even though I've never, you know, really set up shop here right. permanently. But I actually took the edge off of my, for myself, like three years ago, I was like, I'm bi-coastal instead of just being like, I want to move to San Francisco, but I'm so torn. I'm not done with New York. And finally I'm yeah. like, Colin, you're you're bicoastal. I would love to be bicoastal. Oh, I really just really say would. that you are, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah. Great. <laughs> I'm gonna have a talk with Moni. <laughs> totally. If we just if we just put it out just in the universe, it it'll just there. manifest. It, it New York will manifest. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'll just suddenly have a home there. Totally. Same. That's why I just suddenly have a home in San Francisco. <laughs> So what what are you primarily working on uh, in terms of music in New York and or here that you're sort of on a break from or while you're traveling? So I've, um, you know, I, I moved out to New York City when I was 18 to be on Broadway. And that was kind of the the goal and the aim ever since I was a little kid. Um, and you are, you are Broadway. I mean, that depends on <laughs> what sliver of Broadway. Broadway it's trying. you. Well, it's funny because you go to the Broadway people and... and you know, they're like, oh, Colin's so crazy. And he's just always going out with doing these weird things and dressing in weird costumes. Yeah. And you come here to San Francisco and they're like, oh, that's just a normal Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm sure once I get here, then it is maybe the, the Broadway representation. But um, no, I've been... You know, I if I, I feel like when I go to New York, I have to step up my fucking game, man. I'm in New York City, but the freak factor here is maybe you're coming here and you're like, oh, wait, I'm the weirdo in New York. I come to San Francisco. Right, and I, I, have to, I have to step up my game. Totally, yeah. totally. You know, New York's great just in the sense that you can, you know, you can really disappear there and you can be a free, you know, and it's not really taken Although I in. I bump I mean, into people I know every other block in that damn place. It's weird. It's like you'll, you'll have times where you'll be on the subway and you'll see somebody and then you'll go to a different part of the of town four hours later and then all of a sudden they're coming out of the yeah. subway again and you're like what is this yeah. little weird place that I'm in this vortex of people um, but I've been doing musical theater there mainly for the time that I've been there and and you know worked hard to get to that place and the, oh, the Broadway dream the Broadway dream the Broadway, and then got there and it's amazing and I love it but then it's like oh shit now what you know so for the first time Kind of. Are have... you saying the only way is down? <laughs> no, you just said that. <laughs> I'm, I'm at the top. The only, no, it's but that's the thing. It's like you know when you you come across people that have maybe been, and this is probably for any line of work, but that have been doing it so long, or, or you, um, some people can get bitter, and that just after seeing that for so long and, and caring so much about that community and and you know, that dream ever since I was a kid. And, you know, I honor that so, so much. And I, I'm so grateful and so lucky to to have had time there. Um, 
but you come across some bitter people and, and, and it's so heartbreaking, but you can understand and you feel some of that creep in at times because it is a machine. It is, especially as, you know, time goes on, it's, it can be very corporate. It's hard for a, a good boundary pushing show to get backing you know, for yeah. a Broadway house, you know, and then it's, it's about real estate. It's then, you know, all these other politics come into play, well, which I it's get. A, it's a machine that makes something really beautiful, but it's still a Hopefully. machine and the machine is soulless. Right. You right. Know? But just because it, the product can be so magical right. doesn't mean that there isn't just like a lot of soul crushing under its wheels. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at now and, and have had, you know, some interesting bumps in the past couple of years and just, but all, all part of it and all beautiful and stuff like that. But, um, I think as time kind of went on, I was like, okay, what else is out there? And, you know, I started seeing a lot more downtown theater and then went into this horrible, like depression of just like, I'm not an artist. I'm just a dancer who does what he's told. And all these people are saying all these amazing things and they know their queer history and they know their music history and, and actually really got dark and just very judgmental and just kind of regretting maybe the path that I had taken. Oh, I wish I would have, why wasn't I seeing more downtown theater? Why wasn't I, you know, doing more research when I was younger and, and listening to these albums? And, and finally I had to stop myself and be like, no, dude, like, you've been very happy. You've, you've done some great things and honor that. And now see what else is out there. So that was nice to take the edge off a little bit, but that's where I see, I think I'm kind of at in my headspace and where the universe I think has been pushing me a little bit when it comes to, you know, jobs that may come or, or go or fall through or, um, is to kind of tell myself that this is about storytelling and and why that's so important. And, you know, again, just the name of the podcast, why we listen. And I just kept repeating that. And I was like, why do I listen? Why, why do I listen to music? Why do I listen to other people? Why do I listen to these stories? And, and it's not only necessary, but it can bring community and joy. And, but right now we need, we need to be telling some stories because there's amazing stories out there. I mean, it's crazy, you know? Yeah, I have to put you on a spot a little because the first time we met, I, unless you can remind me that we met before this, but I think the first time we met was at Sid Gold's yes. request room. What yeah, is yeah, it called? Yeah. Sid Gold's yeah, request Sid Gold's room, which is a, a piano karaoke bar in Manhattan. And people were doing the rounds. It was so fun. God, I love that place. I'm, I am not it's a karaoke. Cool. I've never even sang karaoke. Like, I'm just not. I but I, I love watching karaoke uh-huh. of any level. And that place is really special. And you got up. I don't even know what song you did. All I know is that you got up and you kind of started singing a song and then suddenly you were freestyling, telling (laughs) sort of life details about everybody in the room (laughs) in rhyme and meter, which was so, like it really floored the shit out of me. I mean, I've seen some really great karaoke. That was some (laughs) next level shit. I was just like, uh, I don't even know what's happening. uh, It was like no diggity. It was no diggity. No diggity. The guy, the guy that was running it, he has this great catalog of all this different music that you don't usually get in a, in a, um, in a karaoke bar. And, and you know, a lot of these great singer songwriters and all that, but you know, a lot of the music that I first kind of grew up with and connected to was a lot of this, you know, 80s and 90s R&B and, and, and all that stuff. And so I was like, oh, I, I, I've always loved New D. Let me do that. And I get up there and he's like, oh, this song. And I was like, oh, 
but shit, dude, it's like, it's in your book. Like, yeah. he's like, oh, okay, fine. And press play. And we started. And then I kind of didn't know where the lyrics are going. And I'm like, and finally, I, w- I just looked over to the table and, you know, there's Monique and, and all these other people that I don't even know that well. And all of a sudden, it just started coming out. And I was like, okay, I guess we're going to freestyle during this little karaoke track. And Amazing. So it was, it was fun. It was a good night. It was a special night. Do you ever go to Marie's Crisis? I do. It's fascinating. That Tell place. people about that because I've been there a few times. I kind of love it. Again, I have, n- I have no connection to musicals uh-huh. or musical theater or that scene. Right. Or, like it's just, it's, it's like I'm on Mars, but it's so, everybody's so into it and it's so infectious. Into, oh, yeah. it's, and it, she can be very serious. They can be, I mean, they are like when the waitress, the cocktail waitress is singing, you keep quiet. And then when the piano player, you listen to them and other people will chime in and sing other songs. And then, I mean, um, there'll be lines out the door at this place, and and it's not it's not my like go to bar, but it's you know there's something beautiful about a room of people like gathering around a fucking piano yeah. and singing their hearts out, and it's these people that are so also really connected to this genre of music, which I think sometimes because I'm around it so much, I like to venture a little bit outside of it. So yeah. you know when you come back to like. I remember there was one time on Gay Pride a few years ago, we we ended up stumbling in there and some guy, really kind of thin white guy, just started singing Old Man River in this like beautiful bass tone and it was just like silent. And then someone started singing Over the Rainbow. You know, all these really cheesy cliche things. (laughs) You're like, oh, of course that happened in a piano board. But you do have these moments of like, wow. You know, now... Well, those songs are what they are because there's something real underneath them that despite the cliches and the history and the repetition, sometimes someone can just nail it in a Mm. way that through that repetition can feel so sincere and real. you, You may cry... Even though you've heard it a hundred times before. Where I've never cried in Marie's Crisis. I don't believe that at all. Well, what I also love about that place is this weird conflation of like 21-year-old blonde Broadway hopeful gonna make it and like 68-year-old queens who are just, that's their their culture, that's their youth that they're hanging on to, whatever. It's just this really interesting intersection of all these people who just seem to have this unyielding passion for that music. <laughs> totally, totally. And that wasn't really my jam growing up. I wasn't, I didn't really n- know a lot of, of the, the musical theater library and, 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 you know, these great writers that I've now learned more about, but I was kind of like a kid of the, the pop musical and, and Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff. And so, you know, I think he has a lot of great material, but there's, you know, obviously coming in, to Stephen Sondheim for the first time was like mind blowing. Sure. And, I mean, that guy's genius, you know? So yeah. there were all these amazing other um, catalogs of, of musical theater, but I didn't grow up really knowing that. So when I came out to New York uh, for school, I went to a, a musical theater conservatory in New York and I had a lot of learning to do. <laughs> like, you know, sure. and, and, but some, some of these people that go in there, they know every lyric and they know, you know, who did this first and then who covered it afterwards. And um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> So let's listen to some music. Um, okay. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the first song, or yeah. do we should we just listen to it and then? No, 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 no. That's fine. I, yeah, I, set um, it up. Let's see. I like I said, I kind of kept repeating why we listen, why we listen. What what has music been for me? And a lot of it, I've had a special connection with me. I mean, we all have our, our special connection with music, but it's changed a lot. Like I said, you know, I 
grew up on like R&B and, and stuff like that. And then I was taken to a Primus concert and like on my own, like got lost from, I think I was with my brother or something. And, and this Primus show just like blew my mind. I mean, Les Claypool, he's such a, an amazing frontman for a band, but then this was also a style of music that I was just, I never would, would have thought that I would have gotten into, but I just danced, danced, danced like crazy. And it really kind of opened my mind to like, whoa, there's a lot of other kind of music. And so then kind of from there found the Grateful Dead and I know that's crazy from going to Primus all of a sudden to the Grateful it's Dead, not. but it was, it's you know, not. it was just instruments, you know, so much of the music I was listening to was just, you know, very produced and all this stuff. And now kind of learning about what it's like to actually see the makeup of a band. And then, you know, I was 15, 14 and coming into my own and growing my hair longer and, and just really connected with the dead. And it, totally opened my mind and and my catalog of music and so that kind of started a trajectory so because it's san francisco and because it's a summer of love and because the grateful dead means so much and was such a um a kind of change of path for me i guess when it comes to music i had to had to throw a grateful dead song in there all right let's listen
on for probably another 39 minutes into another song into another song so i think that when you mentioned primus and the grateful dead i mean i think primus started releasing records like 87 88 89 and that was the 20th anniversary of the summer of love and that's about when baby boomers really started reinvestigating their past and when the grateful dead had a resurgence of interest and Jimi Hendrix was reappearing uh-huh. on the radio and Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians yeah. came on the scene. Like there was kind of this confluence of in that moment of psychedelic music. And it just feels like Primus wasn't that far off. It's true. I've never thought about that, but it's And then it's years true. later, Primus ends up having and Les Claypool and all his projects ends up having this following right. that is not too distant from what was happening with the dead. Right. Maybe not on such a mass scale, but definitely, like, yeah, right, right. it's like, but yeah, I mean, because then he started jumping around and playing with different bands, yep. and like you were saying, and yep. kind of spread himself out a bit. Yeah, and that that uh, deadhead culture ended up sort of moving over to or uh, being explored in things like Fish or Medeski Martin and Wood, totally. and which are kind of, you know, proggy in the, not proggy, it's probably not the... Uh, conflating genres in the way that Primus sort of was starting to when they first started. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's definitely when my hair was past my shoulders, yes. too. So, <laughs> I brought a little lock of my hair out here. Are you serious? <laughs> totally, I totally <laughs> It's like, it's so, it's so crazy. It just, it, you know, and, and hearing that, hearing that here, like in San Francisco, it's like, it just makes me think of like driving on the one. And, you know, we, and, you know, I had gone around and followed fish a little bit growing up Mm. and stuff and and did that whole thing. But it, it just brought me right back to sitting in a car with the windows down and just listening to these bands and, and just blissing out into something so simple that, you know, now it's like, to not pull out your phone all of a sudden, get in, get on it and disappear when you're on a long drive. 
it's it's rare, you know. And so yeah. these these ideas of just listening to these albums and then just driving, just driving for days and just putting on like these different recordings. And that that was one from this album, um, Europe seventy two, and it was a series of live shows they did all throughout Europe. And it's like you can just I could just drive for for days listening to that stuff. Did you ever spend time following the dead? Or I didn't. I had a ticket to a Grateful Dead show, and the friend that had gotten me the ticket gave it away to someone else, and then that ended up being the last show that they played in Denver um, mm-hmm. before Jerry Garcia passed away. Yeah. But I mean, I, I was so I was so devastated. I mean, it was it was yeah. such a weird. I never had that with a loss of an artist. I never felt that connection, and you know, but just like a very odd morning and, and you know, we all gathered in this concert area outside and was that like a, 92, a vigil. Yeah. 92, okay. I think. Um, but that was hard for me. That was like hard as a kid, just thinking that I would never be able to see this band that changed my life. And that, yeah. you know, um, I eventually got over it and it's fine, but I was, yeah. I was devastated at the time, just crying, 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 crying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But did you, did you ever at least do the parking lot scene? Not for dead shows, no. 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 I mean, again, it was like I was such a late bloomer, and yeah, yeah. it so wasn't my scene. And my brother was listening to the dead, and you know that's why I have to kind of thank for it, because you know you just play these songs, like I don't get it, I don't get it. And then, and China Cat Sunflower was one of the first ones. I was like, oh, what's this song? You know, I think I had just labeled it as kind of country. I just kind of put it in almost like a country category. I oh, didn't yeah. really ever hear the rock and roll of it, and then the funk and and the groove and you know then you want to coming from a r&b background and the, and the oh, bass yeah. and the and it's like it's in there and you're like oh maybe that's why i liked it you know because i finally got that groove in there and um and they funky i love it i love it <laughs> how much time do you spend uh going through old recordings of theirs and old albums. Not enough. Like, and yeah. that's that's the thing. That's why I was it's been it was really cool to kind of search through like what do I want to play? Yeah. Cuz it brought me also to the different times, you know, the different albums were at different places in my life and then, you know, different friends and but it was nice to go back, you know, nice to go back and, and listen. Yeah. You know? Does anything like that still fill that connection for you at this point? Do you like a different band even yeah. or any music or um, I think so much of, is rooted in like in it being um, I guess nostalgic of just my growing up, and you know I I had a really great circle of friends growing up where we would just sit and listen to music, and I I don't I just assumed that that was normal and that's what everyone kind of did, and that's not the case, right. you know. And I f- felt very lucky, and they definitely shaped me on like who I am, and knowing that that's important to balance that out with. You know, one half of me is like, I want to be in Cats in New York City and just working, working, working. But then the other time, you have to take the moment to also, like, remember your community, remember your friends, keep yourself solid and and humbled. And they were always the first ones to do that, for sure. Um, So I guess in, like, a, a band setting, not necessarily, because it's also... It's it's a little bit more rare that I'll listen to a whole album, which is such a shame. And you know, I just mm-hmm. I just started doing a little bit more vinyl, which is great because it then it helps. It helps you put it on, and it just kind of plays. And but I don't I don't think right now in my life I have necessarily a band that I'm that does kind of that for me that the Dead did. 
Do you follow uh, any of the members of the Grateful Dead's solo projects or post-Jerry? I did for a while. I did for a while, you know, and saw a few of these further festivals, which had some of the the remaining band members in there. And Phil Lesh here and there, the bassist. And haven't really seen a show in years. It'd be good to revisit that, you know, for sure. Yeah. What else do you want to play? So the next song I chose um, is... A piece that I believe was written originally by Aster Piazzolla, mm. who did a lot of um, tango music in Argentina uh, in 30s, 40s, 40s, 50s-ish, I think. But he kind of um, influenced traditional tango music with jazz and a little uh, more classical music and kind of weave those all together to create a little bit of a new, more modern sound for tango at the time but it's called siempre se vuelve a buenos aires and that uh, it translates to it always comes back to buenos aires i had spent some time in argentina prepping for a production of evita that i did in new york and loved it and wait you got to go to buenos aires to prepare for a role well, i had time that's off and so awesome. that, well that's what i told myself i'm like i'm gonna go do research in buenos yeah. aires for two months um and so I, yeah, I stayed there i stayed there for a couple months and and um i mean fascinating people going down there and, and figuring out some of this history and, and talking to people still about eva peron and her influence on those people, I mean, it's still like divided. People either loved her or hated her. And, you know, but there's still, there's like a, a huge mural of her in the middle of like their, their like massive highway. And so she's still around and you still see these images of her. And, and some of the people going into politics will use kind of a lot of her imagery that she would use and during her campaigns and stuff. But I just started digging deeper and deeper into this story of this woman and her power and and i'm all i'm always fascinated by these individuals that can just flip things over and you know the hitlers the the gandhis the eva perones it's like these are just one this is one person that just goes to bed every night wakes up every morning and you know who knows what their thought process and then to step onto a balcony and address thousands and thousands and thousands of people and this while it's extremely corrupt and, and, all, and there's it was it's so layered it was such a layered story and then you know Andrew Lloyd Webber does, does his take on it and you know whether you like it or not it's a fascinating look into the the power of the individual so that is um this is actually but this is sung by the woman who played our Ava uh, Elena Raja who I am a huge fan um but I also wanted to to go into again why we listen uh and one of the reasons why I listen is is because of the voice. I love the voice, and I, I am fascinated by how different frequencies and different kinds of voices can make one feel certain ways. And I, I always kind of refer to this Eponine ping, like Eponine, the character from Les Mis, which is, oh, yeah. you know, it's it's very poppy. It was poppy musical theater at the time, but it was written to really be sung. And a lot of these people that then were doing these musicals were like singing their faces off. And that eponine ping to me bring, gets people so excited. It's just, it's this like guttural reaction of like, it just sounds so good and it just feels so good. So Elena has a little bit of this this ping and you'll hear, hear it a little bit later on in, in the song that to me, it just, 
it's just so satisfying. So, so this is Elena Raja singing Siempre se vuelve a Buenos Aires. Esta ciudad está embrujada sin saber Por el hechizo cautivante de volver No sé si para bien, no sé si para mal Volver tiene la magia de un ritual Yo soy de aquí, de otro lugar, no puedo ser me reconozco en la costumbre de volver A reencontrarme en mí, a valorar después Las cosas que perdí, la vida que se fue Llegué y casi estoy a punto de partir Sintiendo que me voy y no me quiero ir Doble la esquina de mí mismo para comprender Que nadie escapa al fatalismo de su propio ser Y estoy pisando tus baldosas Floreciéndome las rosas por volver Esta ciudad no sé si existe, si es así Como una mujer profética y fatal Pidiendo el sacrificio hasta el final Pero también tiene otra voz, tiene otra piel Y el gesto abierto de la mesa de café El sentimiento en flor, la mano fraternal Y el rostro del amor en cada umbral que no es casual haber nacido aquí y ser un poco así triste y sentimental ya sé que no es casual que un fuelle por los dos nos cante un funeral para decir adiós decirte adiós a vos ya ves no puede ser si siempre siempre sos una razón para Solo aquel que tuvo que vivir Enfermo de nostalgia Casi a punto de morir So I really don't know anything about Piazzolla, but just as an impression, is his work often uh, interpreted with so much density and bombast like that? I think so. I mean, yeah, you look, just the composition in general, it's just thick, okay. you know? And, and I think that's that's those people as well. I mean, they're so passionate and they're just, you know, and going to these milongas where you, you know, see tango, and I was so ready to dance the tango. And I'm like, oh, I've done tango in the Adams family. I know how to tango. <laughs> and I get there and just like, 
sit in a corner and just order a bottle of wine and watch. And mm. I mean, these people have been doing this their whole life. And it is some of the most beautiful imagery that I have ever seen. It's just these this music that is so bombast and big and grand. And then this dance that is like so subtle. It's so subtle. And then the music can also get very... Um, Simple, easy, but then it always there's always a build. I I I find, um, which I think really represents those people. You know? Interesting. So before you played the track, you were talking about the way he brought tango into these other forms, or what? What were you? Uh, it was more just how he changed up. I, I think the traditional style of tango and just made it a little bit more modern for its time, using influences of jazz and then classical music, and so it just. I, th- I think it, it just then maybe he layered it a bit more. I mean, some, sometimes the uh, the older tango music, and I'm not a tango expert um, well, you on know table more music, than me. <laughs> but I, I just think of like the older recordings that I, I would hear just a little more basic, maybe um, tempo, not so experimental. I mean, he, he can then throw in these other chords and these other instruments that maybe give it a little bit more dissonance than I think were necessarily there what, would, originally. Was, are you maybe saying that more traditional music could be more functional for the dance and maybe this his his take on it very became possibly, more yeah. about like pay more attention to the music it, it actually very that's probably very true huh. which then one could argue like why well that's are you taking selfish. this away from our <laughs> totally totally but from what i gather he was he was a big um you know influence down there at the time and i'm pretty sure he's pretty well respected for for his work you know maybe the old grandpas and grandpas down there are a little pissed but <laughs> the kids love him. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, were you were you into his music before you went down there no, much? No. So you went down there and it like blew this all open for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can just ask around like who who's a good tango artist and who's and it would a lot always come back to Piazzolla. You know, people were always kind of like check him out, check him out, check him out, and so and, and his catalog is crazy. I mean, there's the, and then you know there's people that cover the songs and. When did he write that? Do you know? I Ruff, I roughly sixties, probably fifties or sixties. Okay, he's born in the twenties. I think he died in the nineties. Okay, somewhere between then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever done any other traveling for a role? Oh God, I don't think so. Or tangential to that. I mean, not that traveling is extreme, but it's extreme. Like that's, that's especially that's down commitment. there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What are other things at that level of commitment that you've done for a part or a role? Oh, a well, I was on? I was playing a dog in a show. Um, this sounds good. So that actually, I came to I was coming to San Francisco before and went to the SBCA. Um, and just kind of like sat with dogs for a while. And just, I mean, that's the only kind of thing. I was that hoping you were going to say that you had them lock you in a kennel for. No, but I mean, I, I borrowed a friend's like leather puppy mask that yeah. you can get it like Mr. S leather and went to the woods and put it on my face and just kind of was seeing how vision wise that could affect my movement and smell wise what would guide my movement and. Um, I remember driving over the Bay Bridge and keeping it on and in a convertible and just turning up the music and <laughs> in a big leather puppy mask. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess anything with any role or, or um, for research, you want to you want to go in and, and do that. This sounds cynical, and I don't mean it to sound cynical because it's not. But do you feel that that kind of extra work 
necessarily helps or does it maybe have almost like a placebo effect like i am spending time committing and even if it doesn't make me actually more dog-like and make my performance better it's just it's just about me internalizing a commitment to this uh process um yeah yes yes and no but i i do think that there there are certain things with you know you you take you know a dog and it has a snout and it i mean that's just gonna it's going to affect where, where and how you go. So that, that always is, is where I like to, to maybe start from is start to find this walk, start to find these postures that then can influence, you know, the rest of it. So I do think it has, it, it is important to do that kind of research does that answer the question? Oh, totally. That, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. work is work. No, I get what you're saying. Right. right, 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 right. No, you dig in, and it's like, and that's why, you know, going down to a place and going in to, you know, to Argentina, and, and we had this amazing director, Michael Grandich, who, you know, as as ensemble members, he really put a lot of responsibility on us that, you know, we're paying, playing nine different people throughout the show, and a lot of the time the director can just kind of like, oh, yeah, and then have the choreographer come and put them where they need to be, and then moving on. And he would have one-on-one meetings with us about each of these characters that came onto the scene. And I mean, some of which that like cross from stage left to stage right with the package and then you're off and that's like it. But he wants to know like, where are they from? Where yeah. are they going? They What's have backstories. You know, total backstories. So then you go into, okay, well, when I was down there, I went to these amazing, you know, um, olive farms and, and this and that. And so, oh, that I'm going to make my guy, he was, he was an olive farmer and this guy is this and that, you know? And so it, it, it just almost starts to take a life on its own, yeah. and then once you get all those basics down and 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 um, and figured out and established, then this kind of cool, uh, divine intervention starts to come in, and and then you can make these fun choices of like, oh well, he would do this, or he would react like this, or you know, and that might change from night to night because someone else is. Then you learn about that other person, and so Maria who comes down and sells bread to one in the olive place you know it's like they have a relationship and and over time and that's what i love about you know a a bit of a run with a show is that these lives start to truly form and it's like it's fascinating i I love it it's one of the reasons why i love doing what i do when you're doing a long run and you get increasingly deeper and deeper into these characters what happens to that part of you when the run is totally unquestionably over it's it's a death. Yeah. It's and again, that's what I also love about what I do is that there is a birth. There is that first day of school, and it, it still feels like that. Everyone's still nervous and introducing yourself <laughs> and all that. And you know that in probably four hours, you are going to be sweating all over each other. Your hand is up their butt, lifting them up in the air and dropping them down. You know, to near death. You know, all this stuff, and then you go through all that and then at the end it's it dies and you'll never have that relationship with people again and and i value that time so much with people because i just i love i i just love really getting in with people and i think sometimes through these characters we can maybe do that a little bit more or with a a product or something like a show you it's almost the practice is built in every day to keep getting in and in and in and in. And so then all of a sudden when the rug gets just pulled out from underneath, you're like, where's my family? You yeah. know? And, um, but I, I, I love that. And it just makes you, makes me value the time that I am there. You know, 
What's next? So I had to go with a little George Michael for oh, yeah. this last one. Um, you know, this, this have, is kind have of... Have you seen Keanu, the movie? No. Okay, just oh. bookmark that one. Okay. Go on. Gladly. I interrupted. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. No, I'm so curious God now. Goddamn. Um, you know, I had, to, I had to go, again, why we listen. Um, I, I listen to, to get inspired. I listen to find comfort. I listen to, so I can relate. Um, and George Michael, to me, is is a fascinating artist in so many ways. One, just technically, it's like when you, you know, after he passed and I just was then listen, I couldn't stop listening to George Michael and I've always loved George Michael and just, I, I, I've always just, he was my crush growing up and then really loved his music and whatever. But then when I started listening just to like composition wise, how amazing he was of, of a singer songwriter and then what he was writing about at the time of where he was in his career and in pop music and MTV culture, it's freedom is the song that I'm, I'm going to play. But he, <laughs> it sounds like he's writing about being in the fucking closet and like being this image and commenting on that image in a top selling single with a video about being like, I am not this product and like, we got to break through and, and what is freedom about? And, and, you know, just with what's going on right now, you know, I was listening to this on the bus the other, oh my God, I'm going to say it again. And I started crying, you know, but it, it, because it's that opportunity to truly just understand that like you are you, I am me. We're figuring this thing out. I can change. I can make mistakes. And, and so much of, I think that understanding and the way that we can move through this crazy world as a community is just by respecting that, just re respecting this, individuality and I've been so fortunate to be able to be out and be free and be open and dress however I want you know but that is because of the people that did a lot of the work before me and so I had to include something that represented some of that you know it's and and that is that's also some of the story that I think I need to tell now getting older and and, and evolving as an artist and and to represent that kids need to hear that kids need to hear that they need to see what it is like to see two men two women whatever it is that that it doesn't have to be for you but that is that's there that's respected and we can all move on accordingly you know and it's obviously this let's just play this yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
So I'm so glad you played that. I have no idea how many times I've heard that song, but I've, I don't think I've ever actually listened to it. Yeah. It's, um, I think that when it came out, I was sort of like done with him. Sure. You know what I mean? Uh, like I, I just sort of, my interest just moved on uh-huh. from wham. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, so I'd like, I don't think I've ever really paid it mind. Um, and you were talking about voice earlier. I think that's something that's so interesting about it in the way that you framed it earlier and, and, and part, sorry if I'm taking away exactly what you were going to say, but, but, um, so much of the song is, is kind of whispered and it's really in the throat and it's intimate and it's kind of a secret and it's uh-huh. kind of, kind of sexy. Uh-huh. And then, um, and then it builds in this ramp up to freedom when he just like full bodied, just outpouring. It's really intense. And he's not out. He's not out at this point. And and the video is all of these supermodels and just these images of these beautiful women around him. And and he's it's dimly lit and he's kind of just sitting there against a wall and and he's doing all of those things just as a song structure. But then the comment behind it all is the fact that he's in the closet and is this MTV pop star. You know, and he writes about it. And and that's what's so amazing with a lot of his music is that he was writing about that. I mean, father figure, one more try. It's like yeah. they all had this kind of, or maybe I'm making that up in my head that that's what these songs were about, but it really does seem like they were. Well, the exchanged pronouns by queer artists in the history of music in general is, that's a staple, right? Right, right. But singing about issues of, say, being closeted, that's kind of different i mean it's still throughout musical history sure but i think the the love song with the wrong pronoun is a little more common right but speaking using metaphors and speaking from the very issue of identity is uh rarer and i'd imagine harder to approach because i don't want to say anybody can write a love song but you know a love song's a love song right just swap the pronoun right and you're you're it sounds like you're singing about one person actually you're singing about another but singing from the heart in that way with that intensity and it being sort of a sleight of hand right is complicated as right. fuck i know yeah. i know and it's just you know the yeah and the the song itself builds in such cool ways musically on yeah. you know paralleling that you know it's when did that come out? Because I'm, I also didn't, I never thought about the way it sort of uh, overlaps with like soul to soul and that, uh-huh. that sort of confluence of sounds of that. Was it maybe 90? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love him. It's great. So great. I, I mean, and another thing that it makes me think of, um, pardon me for being dark, is that the way in which music has been a sort of surrogate for gay male identity. I mean, you know, uh, uh, opera queens are a great example of the way that functions. But through the 80s, when AIDS and HIV was completely devastating uh, gay communities, and there were fewer mentors to rely on, the, Mm -hmm. the community was lessening, and there were fewer elders that uh, music like this, I feel its role changed. There were fewer mm. elders, but there was more outness, overt or covert, mm-hmm. in pop music. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of English music where there was, you know, whether it's soft sell right. or whatever, that takes on a different role when 
uh, there are fewer elders in your community to show you the way, but at least pop music was starting to come out. Whether they were out of the closet or not, it was still more on the table and served a stronger role, maybe? Yeah, and I think the Uh, way that you can... It's almost the drag of it all, you hmm. know, and, and, and a lot of these, you know, gay... In, in my head, you know, the, um, you know, kind of the house stuff that were these big gay anthems that were kind of coming out and just these images of just like people on the dance floor and just like you, so you could, you know, this is a bit of a tangent off of what you were saying, but that, that how it was getting out there or passed on was through, I think, you know, on the dance floor. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I wish we could have gotten those stories passed in the other ways as well. Yes. And, and you wonder some of the most, how some of that music could come out and maybe s- things that aren't so big and boisterous sounds, but maybe some queer intimate, you know, pieces that, that unfortunately didn't come to be because of, of the epidemic. But, um, it always rises, you know, but yeah, I always, I always wonder about the, the storytellers that we're not able to be. And then the stories that are not passed down because we just lost that, that chunk. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people doing a lot of amazing work that are, are doing that. And I think we're at a time now where we realize that we realize that it is important to, to pass this history down. And, you know, I'm guilty of not knowing all the, all all my history, but it is a, a constant quest and, and there's a lot of admirable people out there that are, are doing the work and now Absolutely. sharing the stories, you know? Yeah. Okay. A, a little less weighty, but, um, <laughs> when was the first time you heard wham? Like, what was that? Oh, or maybe God, not so literally yeah, the first I mean, moment, but like, what was, what was your first encounter that you can kind of remember with George Michael? And I wham? guess it was more like the faith stuff than like wham. I mean, um, Oh, so you I weren't like ma- you weren't like ma- uh, make it big? No, Friday night videos. N- no, 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 not okay. not so much. Um, you know that sound was always there, and I heard some of those songs. But then it, it was probably just, I guess it was faith. I mean, it was just so it was like just, it was solo. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's when I first got like, oh, what's this? And little did I know that's what a man crush was. But I think that's what kind of started it. And then, um, yeah, just kind of following him around, and I just remember that, uh, like the monkey video and i'm just like what is this what is it's just it's him live it's just him on stage live but but the song is um now baby who's that don't look now there's a monkey on your back it's just such a weird and you're like what is he fucking talking about you know but it's just him being hot on stage and so a lot of it I, i guess what a lot of it drew me in was just being you know a young boy that was just totally turned on by this pop singer you know and i think that that opened those floodgates of attraction for him yeah. I've always sort of wondered uh, about what it is about English culture and its music that England has this legacy of being like so constrained and so uptight and has some of the most passionate, explosive music yeah. ever. It's such a weird tension. And, you know, the first time I went to the UK, I was there and, you know, I've been an Anglophile my whole life, uh-huh. like all my favorite music, especially when I was a teenager, was all pretty much all British. Right. And I got there and I just kind of couldn't connect. Like, how did this make Bauhaus? How did this right. make Culture Club? How did, the, like, what? Do you think it's because of that, like, oh, oh, totally. And yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. But that isn't an explanation. Right, you know? right, right, right. Totally, totally. Like, like it, it's something being so 
constrained that it forces uh, the pressure to escape. Doesn't oh, really yeah. explain how the pressure escapes necessarily. Right. right. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Like he's so Everybody singular. How burst. the fuck did that happen? Right. How does a George Michael happen? Right. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Sorry, that was just a total no, showstopper no, like question. No, 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 no. I like it. I like it. I like it. So what are you mostly listening to now? Like what's what's your very current go-to? Um let's see. I'm like actually oddly on this Patty Lapone kick. I really? such a big fan of hers. I mean, I've always liked the woman, but um yeah. I'm going into some of her older recordings and, and just stuff that I've missed along the way. And Honestly, don't know what she sounds like. I mean, I know oh, I've, I've seen like, movies, but I have no idea what her singing it's voice is. All out. Right. I mean, just it's just so big and and I mean, she just has an instrument, you know, it it is it is to me the ideal package. You know, she went to Juilliard um for acting. She didn't even study voice there. Hmm. Um or that wasn't her major there. And so when she sings, but she has this amazing gift of, of being able to sing that she doesn't, it doesn't even look like she has to think about what she's doing vocally. And so then as an actress, she's so brilliant and just can kind of let yeah. it flow. Whereas, you know, that's a, a lot of my shit, you know, when I'm trying to do something, it's like, oh, think about your technique. Okay, now breathe from the ribs. And, and so I feel that at times I can't really es- like escape into that character because I'm, still worried about things technically, you know, am I going to yeah. hit the note right? And how, how is it feeling today? And, and I hate that. I, that's actually one thing I hate about, about that is that it's not having that freedom. I want that Patty LaPone freedom. <laughs> just sing like her. No. So I've just been listening to some of her stuff. She did actually these, um, these concerts, uh, after she was the original, uh, Avita on Broadway. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And won a Tony award for it, but she would sing this like insanely demanding score and then I think it was at the end of the week, at one point in the week, she would go down and do these weekly shows down at like a nightclub and would do and did it for months during her run of Evita. But it's like, That's and, and these are like 15 like song sets after yeah. a show, a two and a half hour show of just screaming her face off. And, you know, but she's just singing, just singing. And again, I love that. I just, I love a good, a good voice. Um, Trying to think of who else. Um, you know, I've always been an Ani DeFranco fan, and so she just put out a new album, which is nice. And and you know, I, I wanted to actually, I was wanting to put her on the list as well, just in the realm of of artists and I guess singer songwriters that are so exposed with themselves. And it, you know, being an Ani DeFranco fan and listening to her her music from when she was 17 and moving to New York till now and being a mother and, and divorced and all this stuff. It's, there is an aspect of such high respect from me for that because it's, there's no hiding, you know, as an actor, I don't necessarily, and a dancer, I don't have to put my shit out there all the time. Yeah. And when you have an artist that is just, they're open to the criticisms and you have the people that are the fans of the, hardcore lesbian phase and this is in politics 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 and then all of a sudden she starts writing love songs and then her whole fan base is like what the fuck like that's not who you are and you know it's like again going back into that that line in in freedom of just like we can we should be allowed to change like we should be allowed to make these mistakes and and when there's artists out there that their work is so self-exposing that's i think hard enough to do in general but then to do it in front of a fan base yeah. that, that is also your income 
it's very brave to me and very admirable. Spending so much time focusing on the voice, what do you think about artists who have put so much technology on their voice? Whether we're talking about like Juana Molina, mm -hmm. Bjork, Arca, mm -hmm. where it's all about distending and corrupting mm -hmm. the human voice and creating another instrument out of it, or the like Ariana Grande, whatever, auto-tuned, well, uh, stripped of... Ariana can sing. She can sing her, she can sing her face off, but... Uh, it is in that realm of where it's tuned up, where it's it's too. I think those are two totally different things. And and yes. the first one, it's great because you I, you're combining music and technology to create this new thing. And then it, to me, it's a true collaboration. Whereas auto tuning is to fix mistakes and it's to make it seem flawless. And and it's and then it's a shame because then also the training becomes different. Um, and so you you do lose out on these voices that can be. Imperfect. Have you ever spent time on the microphone with uh, auto tune in your no. hands? Oh my god, and that's it's weird. And that's what's gross is that it's I'm like, weird. I would love that. <laughs> I would no, never go try to get me. You know, it's, it's very weird because your intuition of nailing your own pitch in your head oh, yeah. is suddenly different because it's just different than what you're physically doing. So you're slightly chasing something that's already perfected. So you're you modulate into something that's not going to modulate with you because it's already there. Right. Ugh. Weird. It's weird. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and the voices, occasionally, if you pull off of perfect pitch enough, it will start to do that auto tune thing. Uh huh. And it's your voice, but it's not your voice, right? While you're making it. Well, and some people like sit in a little bit of a of a a flat sound or a sharp sound, you know. Yeah. And so then to take that away from someone's voice is just such a that could be some, such a shade of someone's voice, you know, that you're sure, robbing sure. the whole package, you know? Yeah. But then again, that just goes into that idea of like, let's make it perfect. And right. But we could also, we could also think of this very thing, auto-tune as being like Bjork Arca, Juana Molina as some, t well, this is the tool now. Right. It's about creating this other thing where all these vocals. So on one hand, yes, it's about smoothing out mistakes. Right. And it's about perfecting something that's actually fine as it is. But on another hand, it's about creating this sheen, this glossy, impermeable sound. Yes. And, we and whether we like that sound on its own terms or not, not whether or not it's perfect or faking something. Right. We just don't have the choice in the equation, though. That's true. That's very true. You know, it's like, and I think, I think, speaking for myself, I think because I am the age I am, I can't get on board. I think I just instinctually I reject it, mm -hmm. and I've tried to, I've tried to get on board right, and just right. be like, no, man, it's it's cool, it's, cool. it's neat, it's just it's, it's just a different thing. Now, right? Yeah, I just no, and I I, it's, it's not because it's fake. I, it. I don't even think of it. it's because it's fake for me anymore. It's actually just like I don't like that sound. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, it, it just irritating to my ears, <laughs> which is totally understandable. You know, when you have, you know, you listen to a lot of music, you listen to a lot of sound. And so when your catalog is, is just maybe not as perfect, it's like to have that imperfect perfection. It just, I just know too much. I know. It hurts, <laughs> I'm just burdened. doesn't it? It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. That was great. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Thanks, Colin. Welcome to the footnotes. Go see Cat's 
on Broadway. I welcome your comments. Please share them at whywelisten.org. And if we've introduced you to music that you want to hear more of, please buy it in the highest quality possible as directly from the artists as possible. And if you're an iTunes subscriber, please take a moment to rate or review Why We Listen. I'm Mark Kate. This is Why We Listen. Thanks for listening.